Hi everyone, welcome to Potluck Food Talks. Today we have a very special guest. It's my cousin, Walter Sidoravicius. Being my cousin, I, I've known him since I was a little baby. But just recently he became the third Venezuelan in history to get a Michelin star, which is quite an achievement, with his project Omakase by Walt, right? Omakase by Walt. And I'm also here with my homie, Phil, as always. <laughs> hey, congratulations, Walter. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, we are super, super happy about this. This was a huge, uh, fantastic surprise for us. Yeah, like I was not expecting it at all. First of all, because I thought like that your project was more like a, a private dinner hidden place, more than a restaurant that could actually get a Michelin stars, like like from, from the basis or of, of the re recognition. Yeah. So it was quite a surprise. I was like, what? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> for me, for me too. So I think we started the, the last year, some, a few, a few clients, a few customers, they start to say, look, and the Michelin star inspector already came. And the Michelin star already say something. The Michelin, say, what? I, I don't think so. I am. Uh, and you were not even thinking about it. I think the concept is not the concept of that Michelin star in Spain because I think, for example, in Ibiza, it's just three, recently, three Michelin star restaurants. And it's a, a restaurant with a table and uh, with a sommelier, with a one waiters per person per guest. And And this is a type of Michelin star that I think is here in Spain, no? It's not like Asian. In Asian, you have amazing street food who have a Michelin star, no? It's a, it's a different. Yeah, I recently, I, re I was recently in Singapore and I, I visited two places that had a Michelin star and were street food hawkers. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, like, like it's nice. And I understand that these places have Michelin stars because uh, in one case, they invented a new type of noodle soup and the other one also something like really historic. But but like if you put it on the same level, I think there are a few pincho places that could have a Michelin star as well in Spain, you know, like here in San Sebastián. Exactly. It's what I was thinking about here in Spain is a lot in Andalusia you have amazing tabernas or tascas where you eat amazing food every day the same amazing dishes or in pizza place in the in the north of Spain and this deserve no a Michelin star too so that's why I was thinking my concept maybe it's not like the concept they're looking for no They're like uh, with us so many so many waiters so many huge uh, elegant service It's an elegant place, but these are very minimalist, very small, very Japanese. It's the, it's the Japanese proper way not to service omakase, sushi, and, and Japanese food. Exactly. Tell us a little bit about your place. First of all, what is omakase? I think we, we've talked about omakase on the, on the sushi episode. I think we touched on it, yeah. So omakase, omakase means uh, trust in the chef's hands. So it's, it's where the, the chef... Is free to choose you now the menu he's going to prepare, and always is looking for represent the season of the of the year. And in Washoku or in Japanese food, it's very important to represent also when it's one season, so the beginning of the season, the middle of the season, and also the end of the season. No, and I think the the omakase is is where the chef choose the menu. Depend what part of the the season they they are. No, it's always sushi, right? Omakase. Omakase can be a tempura place, can be okay. a yakitori sukiyaki place, and omakase is the is this concept. Okay. So it's just it's not really a, a print menu. It's, it's you don't choose. No, it's a tasting close menu. No, for say something. <laughs> yeah, I, re I recently visited a. Amakase in Singapore, it was quite nice. In, in French kitchens, you would call it like a carte blanche, you know, basically where you just go somewhere and you completely like give yourself up to the chef, you know, and it's like a, like an experience, like a surprise, you know. Exactly. I think it's part of, it's part of the beauty of the, this experience, no? The people don't expect nothing, you know, no, no, doesn't expect what we were going to service. And also my concept is, it's a mix of uh, a speakeasy place with a, Omakase. So it's, I think it's a double unexpected <laughs> experience. 
Exactly because uh, that's why what I heard uh, why with my my aunt she went to visit and she told me yeah the the entrance is like a garage like you you don't expect like you enter like to a house and suddenly you're in like this beautiful sushi bar it's like a storage yeah <laughs> with it's only 12 seats right it's 10 seats we we start with eight seats and after we put 10 seats yes okay and how many guys are you in the kitchen We are uh, Jonathan is my right hand in the kitchen and Francesca is the waiter. We are three only. That's awesome. Super cool. Three, three pesos for 10 pesos per day. Only, only, only one service. Yeah. And what, what about the drink offer? Uh, do you have like only sakes and teas or is there anything else or? Yes. I, I try the people uh, going more for the sake choice. No, not drink uh, more to, to wine or champagne. For example, I don't offer champagne. Here in Ibiza, champagne is serving, I think, in the, all the restaurants <laughs> around the island. And I don't want to serve it because it's not really uh, Japanese. So I, I prefer they drink a sparkling sake, for example. I had a, a sparkling sake recently at, at the Wakan okay. in, in Singapore, in, in, sorry, in Kuala Lumpur. And it was super nice. I really, really liked it. Yeah, little by little is that this is that for the beginning the first sparkling sake I tried was very sweet, but nowadays it's more like uh, it's really nice, yeah. more dry sparkling sake, and it's, it's, it's getting I think a little bit better. No, here in Spain, maybe in Japan they are very good. And yes, we offer no alcohol drinks, tea. I think tea is a very good combination, very good pairing also with the food. And we offer kombucha. We have a person here in Ibiza. She makes amazing uh, homemade kombucha. Um, Japanese beer. We have a selection of seven different sake. Every night we select the sake if the the menu. But if the people want to drink more than seven, we have 20 different sakes. And also we do a selection of uh, wines. We have like five, six different wines as well. Yeah. Who pairing with the with the food too. But it's, it's like this. So I, I prefer the people feel like they are in Japan. So when you are in Japan, it's not there is nowadays a wine selection, but not it's, it's more like sake, soshu, uh, Japanese drink selection. Super nice. This is the this is the idea. So I'm talking about Japan. If I am correct, you you first learned cooking in Spain, uh, then you went to Japan. If I'm not wrong, you went to a, a sushi contest in Japan, and you you became finalist, right? Yes, yes. So, for the beginning, I started like I studied the culinary institute in, in Puerto La Cruz in Venezuela, where, where I was growing up, and after I moved to Madrid. I start to work in a, in the proper way, no, like Japanese in a Japanese restaurant, like a sushi chef. And after this, I was missing the the sea place because I growing up very close to the sea, and and one I get a very good very good relation with a bartender. He's my friend nowadays, and he's from here from Ibiza. And he say, look, why why don't move to Ibiza? Stay in my house the first season to try, and maybe maybe you you will like. So it was the best decision I made in my life. So I moved to Ibiza. I started to work in a type of a uh, beach club. It's a huge, famous beach club where is a a part of the kitchen is a sushi a sushi bar with a seven seven chef. And I I was working with a chef from London. He's he, he's a very good professional. Nowadays he has his own restaurant in, in London, and and he inspired me to to move after the season in Ibiza to work in London in some Japanese uh, restaurants. So I work in a Japanese restaurant in the winter time in, in London. In summer, back to Ibiza again. Next winter, I moved to Australia, working in a big restaurant compared with maybe with Nobu, where I meet uh, Sebastian, Sebastian Pincheira. We was working together in this. Uh, I didn't, I didn't know you worked together. I, I knew you went to school together, but not, not that you. No, no, we, we, we worked together. I think uh, 12, almost 12 years ago, something like, and uh, yes, in the same, in the same restaurant. I remember very, very busy restaurant, like 500 guests per Per day, very good quality, very good product, very nice Japanese chef. 
but super, super busy, super busy slave place. <laughs> Actually, Sebastián Pinchera is so someone who I was expecting to get a Michelin star. The first time I went to, to his new place, I was like, okay, this place could easily get a Michelin star at some point, you know, but I, yeah. I never thought this about you, you know, like it's crazy. Yeah, it's amazing. It's something you cannot, I don't know, it's, it's, it's very difficult to know how they choose and how, how it's coming. And after this, I back to, to Ibiza again for, for the summertime. And I decided, look, if I really want to know about Japanese food, I think I need to move to Japan. So for Australia, I get working holiday visa and I start to look if I can find the working holiday visa to Japan. And so I moved to Japan and I started to work for the beginning in a in a farm, it's a kind of association of farms called Goof, where you work five, six hours a day and they give you accommodation and food. And the good things, they have the rule who say in the end of the day, they need to teach you some Japanese culture, like calligraphy or the instrument or the language. So for me, it was a very good way to introduce myself in the Japanese culture before to start to work in a Japanese restaurant. That's amazing. After this, I made my edited issue, my CV, with a Japanese friend help. And I went to very traditional sushi place like Kimura, Saito, Sugita, Jiro, this very top-level famous chef. Do you recall any memorable experience in these places? Because I remember once we were drinking and you were telling me about this place that they counted the exact amounts of grains in anigiri and they were, the way they would let it fall into the table would make like a an impact in the pressure of the in this kind of micro details you know like, like micro awareness <laughs> of, of each nigiri yeah i remember for me one of the chefs inspired me a lot is uh, sushi saito because i i, I think I, I i already watched all the videos and all the, the articles about uh, saito and I remember one thing is amazing from the chef when he put the piece of nigiri on your plate and how soft is the rice, how eerie is inside of this bowl of rice. When he put on your plate, you can watch the fish is, is going a little bit down, no? And you don't need to wait too much because more you wait, more make the the fish to the to the rice for me is the wow this level is, is the, the 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 master level now and and inspire me a, a lot you worked in nobu tokyo right yes finally i i get the job in nobu tokyo i remember i give my cv to the to the manager and it was a very tall guy, looked like Yakuza, old style, Japanese without hair. <laughs> and he said to me, this is not a Japanese way to give me your CV, you know? You need to send first an email or a letter by post. And after we answer, if you can come to give us the CV or not. I say, okay, okay, sorry, sorry. And uh, he said, well, I, I know you are not Japanese, so give me your CV. I, I, yeah, this day I get a short interview with him. And after this, I get another three interview, one per week. So the next one was with the head sushi chef, the other with the head uh, chef, and after the four together until I get the answer. So I was, a, I think there was a little bit worried about, I was the first foreigners who joined the, the kitchen, no? And they asked me things like, you have tattoo? If you have tattoo, you cannot work. Okay. And um, also you need to shave your, your hairs and your arms and all these kind of things, you know, very, very strict. So maybe Nobu looks like very modern restaurant and Tokyo, very modern city, but I think they, they respect and they keep very traditional, no, in, in some, in some point. It was an amazing experience. I worked almost one year for, for Novo Tokyo. The first three months was very, very hard, very complicated because I was the only foreigner who works in the kitchen. And all the dish I finish and give to the waiters is passed so many scams, no? The first scam from the waiter, the second scam from the manager, and the third scam from the daughter of Nobu because she is in charge of the restaurant. And after these three scams, is finally going to the table. 
uh, was a huge pressure. Wow. But amazing. Nobuto Gyo has what? Like two two stars? No, no, they never, they never get. They never get a star because I think that, I think that one from London made two stars. One from London, he get the, he get one Michelin star. Exactly. I think it's not a concept they want to, to keep Michelin. That's crazy. Yeah. There is one that opened recently here. I haven't been there. Okay. Uh, in San Sebastián. Yeah. There's a new Novo. It, like it's, it's, uh, it's been open like for two months, but I have a rule. I, I visit a, a new opening after it's been open, like at least one year. six months. Okay. <laughs> exactly. One year. Well, for exactly. me, one year. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> no. smart. You know, you don't have to be the, the tester exactly. of, of the mistakes of the restaurant. Yes. Exactly. He's, he's, he's like this. And what about the contest? What's the story behind that sushi contest? So I remember working in uh, in Nobu Tokyo. Is coming one supplier, and he gave us a paper with the publicity of this contest. And the contest is they looking for the best sushi chef around the world, you know, the best from America, the best from Spain, the best from uh, England, and. After they choose from so many many other countries, they make a a big contest, international contest in Tokyo. So all the chef was lovely. <laughs> you can do, you can do, you can do. I said, okay, why not? I, I will, I will try it. So why not? And yes, was was fun. It was the most important for me was taking fun about this and and meet so many chefs around the world with the passion for the same things and. And be the first, be finalists. It's, it's like, okay, it's, it's, it's maybe not too important, but the important things was know all these people around the contest. The, yeah, I think it's most, super cool. most important for me. What did you have to make at the contest? So the first day you need to do um, 15 pieces, 15 traditional sushi pieces in one plate. And they check their way how you do, the way, how you got, of course, your technique and your creativity as well. No. And this is the f the first contest. And the next day you make a dish with 15 different pieces about your type of sushi, you know, uh, about your fusion. Your own no, style. It's like your own, your own style, no? I have a question before you go on. You said like the traditionals, they value your creativity, but what, what is creativity and something traditional? Is it like a, a little twist, your own? Exactly. What type of, uh, for example, some chef make a nare sushi. Nare sushi is very, uh, it's the beginning of the of the sushi, no? Or Aussie sushi of uh, press sushi is typical from Kansai area, no? So they are, they are traditional. Ah, yeah. These this ones that are rectangular, right? This square. Exactly. So this is the what I mean with the creativity, you know? Is find a different uh, type of traditional sushi in 15 different pieces. Okay. Uh, you can make nigiri, you can make sashimi, you can make hosomaki, you can make futomaki, you can make... Ah, you, you can choose your... The 15 is your own choice. Exactly. Oh, but okay. all of these pieces okay, need then. to be the... Traditional way. Super traditional. It's like edomai, okay, edomai, okay. edomai style uh, sushi. That's that's what they want. Interesting. Yeah. And the next is yeah, just your your creation, uh, your own creation. And it was very good. I was the number six on the beginning. And after I passed the number eight, I didn't understand why. But that was very interesting. Very, very nice to... To meet the, all the suppliers, because the supplier was a sponsor of the contest and and all the chefs was was very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Also, Japan visiting the fish market. I've seen every time you you travel there, you you visit the the markets. Uh, that has to be amazing. Can, can you tell us a little bit about that? Wow, for me, the fish market, the sukiyaki market, is like a Walt Disney. You no, know? it's like <laughs> it's like for for the kids, Walt Disney. For me, it's uh, the sukiyaki market. I think every other place in the world have a fish market like this, no? It's the freshness of the fish. Most of them are in life, still in life. The variety of the of the fish, clams and seafood are, are amazing. And how huge is this fish market? It's, it's incredible, huge. Uh, I remember the first time I've I, I been, was very early and 
visit all the pods, the tuna pods, the, the, the all the all these fish, and you get sushi like breakfast as well. Nice, <laughs> that's so nice. Delicious, uh, delicious sushi. And outside of the market and around the market is is, is another market. No, with a lot of uh, street food, a lot of uh, street uh, seafood making in the grills and real hotate or real scallops and just a little bit ponzo sauce or dashi broth and things and yeah, yeah it's it's wow it's that's it's, super nice it's amazing yeah. super nice yes, yes. i also I, i also remember i was living in bolivia i don't know if this was maybe later but i was living in bolivia and i was talking with you and with phil at the same time and we had like a lot of time without talking like maybe more than a year with both of you but that day i was talking with with both of you at the same time and you tell me yeah i recently finished studying at the basculinary center and now i'm in japan and phil and I, and i was like oh that's crazy because my friend phil he just uh, he was working at uh, mugaritz in the basque country and now he's also in japan And, and he's working at, at Ryujin. And you tell me, oh, that's crazy because I'm just going to Ryujin right now to have dinner. And I was like, what, what are the odds? You know, like this is okay. That was amazing coincidence. It was a really, really amazing coincidence. I, I was following the Senji Yamamoto a few, few years before I arrived in, in, in Japan. For me, in, on the videos, of course, I didn't meet him before. On the videos, he was a, wow, it's a, it's a, a alien, no? It's another planet's chef, no? Yeah, yeah, I've seen the, like, the technique videos, the cooking videos. Exactly, yeah, exactly, like, it was. It's the most, it's the most technical thing wow. I've seen in my life. It's so baroque, so, so over the top, over the top, more and more, more technique. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's I, crazy. I don't know if I can talk about the smoke joint, but I remember I smoked a joint one night before going to, to the bed. And I was watching in my computer a video of uh, Senji Yamamoto taking a, I think it was like Amadai or some, some snapper. And he peel, he take out all the scales, he dry the scales, he fry, and he do like kind of panko just with the scale. And after take out the middle spine with a tube and fry and put again back in the raw meat. Yeah. And after... Uh, put it in the grill. Wow. The next day I wake and say, wow, that was real. <laughs> it was real what I watched in the, in this video. Um, yeah, because he also makes like 3D animations to explain the processes of the spines of the fish and everything. Like it's really, really crazy. The crazy thing is that they actually do those techniques, you know, like, and I think the cool thing about that is that they like, They take like traditional techniques and dishes, like for example, like a grilled unagi, you know, and they do it kind of in a traditional way, but like thinking about every detail and then they go in, they're sort of like, how do we fill it? In? How do we cut, like taking like a tiny scissor, like crisscross cutting the, the bones and, um, Like the way that they cut, I have like drawings in my notebook from there because they cut the skin, but they cut it in like a different width, depending where on the skin it is. And, um, yeah, it's crazy. They're so, so detail oriented. Yeah. I remember Phil telling me that while he was in the restaurant, there are like this, uh, cameras to see the tables. And, and when he was uh, watching your table, you were like looking at all the plates, the brands and everything and being like, like really aware of everything around you. Wow. For me, <laughs> was eating at, in a Senji Yamamoto restaurant, three Michelin restaurant. I was so focused. I read all the the politics uh, in the website about the restaurant. And he said, I remember one politic say, uh, it's better you don't use your cell phone to take pictures because you can be a little bit tipsy and break some crockery. And these crockeries have many, many years. Uh, I say, well, okay, no phone, nothing, just focus, watching yeah. everything. Phil, you, you told me a story of a, like a chef that, that broke a plate and he was on his knees like saying, oh, sorry, please. Like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, this, uh, I mean, the crockery in that restaurant was like, I remember we had these like really beautiful bowls. They're like quite famous for them. Uh, it had like Fujin and Raijin, the two like gods of uh, thunder and wind, like painted on them. And uh, we only had like three of them or something like that, you know, and it has like the, the bowl with the matching lid. 
And one day we went to a museum in Roppongi and we saw the same ball like in a museum and we were like, oh, okay. Like, it, but like exactly the same one, you know? And we we're like, oh shit, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, like they, it, they were super, super strict. And yeah, like it was so funny when you came to eat because it was like, so Eric told me so spontaneously and I, I told the chefs and they were like, okay, all right. Um, but they're like very reserved, you know, because they have so many like VIP guests coming in every day. And we had cameras on every table. There was a camera so that you could see what's going on on every table. Wow. And, um, so in the beginning they were sort of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Your, your friend's coming. All right. Okay. Sure. And then you were sitting there and you were so focused. Like I could see you, like every time a dish came, you could just see how you were looking at it. You were really taking it in the looks and you were smelling and tasting each element. And I remember after like one or two dishes, the, like the chefs, they were kind of like standing on the pass. You know how Japanese chefs are. They were kind of like, you know, a little bit, a little bit arrogant. They're like, yeah, you know, they were looking at it. And after like two or three dishes, they came to me and they were like, who is this guy? You know, like, because uh, <laughs> they could see, you know, they could see that you were really, really into it and really taking it very, very seriously and uh, really had an interest and a respect for what was going on, you know. I think it was, for me, one of the best culinary experience I, I get. I remember I was, I think, October or something similar, September, October, end of September. And I was lucky because you still have uh, Aju, the river, the river fish. Oh, yeah. And, mm. and also you, you, the last time and the last year, you get the eel, the unagi, more than one kilo because the government uh, after was forbidden to catch a wild wild eel. So I was so lucky because in the in this menu I tried both. You no, know, the end of the the summer ayu and the beginning of the wild more than one kilo eels unagi was amazing. Yeah, for me it was the best unagi I I tried there. I don't know if you got the shio the shio version or the shoyu version. I don't remember exactly which one, but I think it was a shio shio version, the salty, the salty one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm not, yeah. I'm not yeah, really sure. I don't, I don't, I don't have picture to remember. So. <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> ten years ago, so I. Uh, yeah, these long menus are super hard to remember if you if you don't make pictures. Yes, not nowadays is complicated. Then you went to to the Bas Culinary Center and while studying there you were working at like at a super standard sushi place here in San Sebastian but but I remember you told me that you were doing like super crazy things like super high standard sushi there just to you know to practice like working with super baby shrimps peeling them one by one to make like, like a special of the day and then trying to improve your your own style and so can you can you tell us about that? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I remember I just when I arrived in San Sebastian, uh, I think it was Sebastian who recommended to contact with Kenji. Kenji, yeah. at this moment, he has a small sushi bar restaurant in uh, Old Pad, where it's all the pinchos, all the pinchos bar. Yeah, it's basically a, a Japanese pincho bar, right? Like Exactly. But it's, um, I remember I arrived super Japanese, no? Shaving me, everything was still with the. After one year working in Japan with only Japanese people around me, uh, that that was fresh after Japan. Exactly, exactly. Okay. For me, it was taking me like uh, three months after Japan be back on me again. No, because I was maybe so Japanese. Yeah, I had I had a similar experience after Mugaritz, like working in other places after Mugaritz. I had to like de-wash my brain, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, like I, to become normal again. Exactly. <laughs> I had the same when I when I came back from from Japan. I was like I I felt so culture shocked in a way. Like I went straight to like uh, Belgium, I think, and then like to Paris. And I remember like bumping into somebody like on a on a square and being like, "Oh, come and say." You know, because <laughs> uh, you're so in the yeah. in the zone, you know. Uh, exactly. Well, even when you go into eat in the sun restaurant, like guests, and you pass uh, throw back to a uh, waiter, you say "torimas, torimas," back, back, <laughs> like you are working in the kitchen, like you're still working in the kitchen. Yeah, it's it's a funny, funny things. <laughs> yeah. And in San Sebastian with Kenji. Um, it's a very simple, simple sushi bar with more 
maybe I can say more American uh, sushi. Uh-huh. Uh, in the kitchen is this was working Hideki. He's a he's a amazing Japanese chef and very good friend. And he makes some more like uh, no sushi plate, but the sushi was very like more Americans. And so sometimes I get a guest who sit in front of me on the bar, and I can make like omakase experience. You no, know? he say okay, I make whatever you want. And I do like omakase in this, in, in this moment, no? And I start to make my creativity with the Japanese technique and, and try to find a local fish. And I remember once we make a, a gunkan, who's a bowl of rice around uh, seaweed. And I take them um, at this moment in the fish market was uh, in live uh, shrimps, kisquillas, and um, we take, we peel the quisquillas and we make a roll, move quisquillas, gunkan to the guests. What was amazing? <laughs> it's just a little bit salt and uh, lime, I remember. And mm. um, yes, this kind of things. If you could choose like five sushi dishes you've had or you, you made that you could say, wow, this was really memorable. Like for instance, this one getting such a special produce and making something that that you can't really scale up. You can build a restaurant that produces this every day because it's so hard, which would be your list of five in no order. Just wow. Five, I don't know if I have, but I I have one I really like a lot. Of course, I, I, I don't think like I, I invent because I think everything is almost invent. And it was a turbot nigiri and rodaballo. Yeah. Uh, wild rodaballo nigiri. And on top, it's a special part in Japan they call engawa. So it's the, the, the fins around the, the fish. And of course, to make a, in my restaurant, I have 10 guests. It's for one fish, it's impossible to make a 10 piece of nigiri of engawa. So I, I need to choose who's going to eat engawa. So, so what not choose, I make a kobujime. It's a kind of uh, technique where you put the fillet of the, of the torbot you wrap in the in the combo and cure it for a few hours. I make a nigiri with this, and on top I get the engawa and grill, real engawa, and put just a small piece of engawa on top. So I mix turbot um, with the engawa with the grilled thin of the fish on top. This is one of my, I think, one of my favorites. It sounds delicious. Huh? Yeah. Sounds amazing, yeah. Like, the, the curing with combo and then grilling sounds really, really nice. Yeah, it's a type of technique they normally use for this type of fish. I think it's, it's one of the fish with very elegant and light, light test and also a little bit hard texture. And this technique, uh, I think, increase so first the the salt of the seaweed take out the excess of water and increase the concentrate the fat of the of the meat and and after pass all the umami and sea taste to the meat without kill the proper taste of the of the fish and the result is amazing texture with very nice and elegant sea taste of the fish Then I remember I was uh, living with a friend and we had a visit from from a, a cook that came from Chile and he came to make a cooking course at the Basque Culinary Center with you as, as a professor uh, for a special sushi course. And I remember the guy telling me about how impressed he was about you butchering an eel with this technique where you put like a, a nail in the eye and then you you clean the thing. And ca can you tell us about this whole world of fish butchering? I know you also worked uh, at Aponiente. You're probably also interested in the work of, of Josh Nilan. you know, all yes, this totally. world of yeah. fish pieces and everything. What, what can you, you tell us about that? Yes, I remember teaching in a, in a Basque culinary center. It was an intense course of five days. So I tried to teach the most I can to the professional because they are already our chef or they are owner of the sushi restaurant. And I remember one part of the teaching was the fillet, fillet fish. So the all this type of and different way how you can cut and fillet, for example, a sea green, how you fillet a flat fish like a turbot or 
how you fillet the eel, the unagi. The unagi you need to fillet when it's still in life because when it's dead, it's a, like, it's a rigor mortis, no? It's a... Yeah, the, the, the shape becomes stiff. And exactly, it's not, no, it's not straight. It's, it's, uh-huh. it's impossible to fillet a unagi with a rigor mortis. That's why you need to cut in, in life. And... This was very interesting. Every, every, I think it was like a 20 person. They tried to fill it, uh, 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 unagi, a lot of blood everywhere. <laughs> it was a little bit crazy, but, but, but this is the, is in the same time is respect, no, from, from, for the animal and for the product, no, is the best way how you can kill the fish and how you can process and prepare the, the, the fish. It was, it was amazing, amazing experience. And what about a poniente? The, does the the work of Angel Leon has had some some influence in your own work, or or not so much? Yes, yes. I in a poniente we just worked a short time, less than three months. And yes, have some some influence. I think Angel Leon is a very innovative uh, chef. He has some product like plankton. I mean, the plankton, the taste of plankton is is, is amazing, and is 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 a It's not really a plankton, no. It's, it's just a few type of seaweeds of a microalgae, right? Or mm-hmm. exactly microalgae and tastes amazing. Tastes like like you eat oyster or persebe. Nice. So have amazing seafood seafood taste. And also the butchery, how they do chorizo with mullet. Mullet is, uh, I think, not appreciate fish, no. Where you Where you see the mullet in the on the port, no? Where is the boat? It's always the people associate the mullet with the dirty waters, no? But it's a wild uh, mullet, are amazing fish. And this fish, first he don't eat another fish. He just uh, eat like like a wilds, just by filtration. And second is a uh, one of Fish have a lot of percent of fat, so it was amazing to make a a, a butchery a chorizo with this. And I remember we take the the belly the belly part cut in uh, cubes and make like um you know when you open chorizo and you get the <laughs> this cube of fat, no? Yeah, the and white parts, right? <laughs> exactly the, the same with this thing. It's, it's it's not Japanese. It's a no Japanese kitchen, but I think I learned a lot how to use a local local fish and seafood, no? This is one of the challenges always for me, no? Mix Japanese technique with the local seafood and vegetable without change the tradition and the Japanese philosophy, no? So try to don't make a huge fusion, no? To change the the tradition. For me, what I do is very, it's very simple, very focused in the quality of the products and the quality of the technique and it's nothing else no i think it's the most complicated make something easy nice no it's, it's, it's this is the complicated part for me absolutely yeah you were also like involved in in fishing uh, if i'm not wrong i love to to fishing yes and I have I have I'm more into kayak fishing. Okay, but I have free time, not not many, <laughs> and I try to yes, I try to fish. Now is the squid season here in Ibiza, so I love to going to catch squid and this kind of thing. But you use own catch uh, product for your restaurant, or is it only for for self-consumed? It's just self-consumed. Okay, okay, yes, okay. yes self-consumed. Also, first because I think it's not legal. <laughs> I need to be need to pass from the cofradia first to to make it legal. Okay, what you catch and and sell to the in the restaurant. And second because. When I start the restaurant, I don't have more time to <laughs> to go into <laughs> fishing. Was the, so. That was the end of the, of <laughs> so, the hobby. Exactly. Okay, okay. So that's cool. why. Yeah. I wanted to jump into the more more technical questions. Like, okay, let's let's start with let's go into rice. What what would you say are the the key things like a, a chef should take pay attention when when cooking sushi rice it's it's like the it's like the most key element right in, in sushi is is the protagonist is the most important part of the sushi of course uh, sushi is uh, is just rice and and vinegar 
for me, the most important to make a nice rice is, is know, know your rice. Practice a lot with your rice. I think every, every rice is very different. Can be koshihikari, can be koshihikari rice, but koshihikari grown in California or koshihikari grown in, in Niigata in Japan or koshihikari grown here in Delta del Ebro in Spain. What makes uh, koshihikari special compared to other rice uh, varieties? I think the, for me, the koshihikari, I first I love the aroma of the rice, the, the side of the grain, the texture of the grain, and also the... I don't know how to say how malleable can be in your hands when you work with this rice to make sushi. Okay. And what I mean, you, all the rice are different. So you, you just need to practice, no? Because it's not the same you cook a rice when it's just less than one year this rice was picked from the ground. And normally it's in autumn season, no? in October when they pick the rice. It's not the same, this rice cook in December and the same rice you cook in July because it's getting, in your storage, getting more dry. So we need more water. And also if depend on what type of fish you use. So you, you change your seasoning, no? For example, when it's winter time, most of the fish are more fat. So you increase the acidity in your seasoning, no? To make the balance with the fat. And when it's summertime, you try to make more sweet your your seasoning with a little bit more mirin. And all these minimal details on your rice, I think, affect and the good result in the end. So you first you need to know your rice, where it's coming from, how long is the storage, yeah, this rice, and, and all this thing after is the way how you cook, the, 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 the instrument or the pot you use, the type of water you use, the time you soak in the water, with what type of water you soak this rice, and how many time you wash. Some rice need to wash less, because we, for the beginning, we think you need to wash more, more, more rice, more wash is better. I remember working in Obu Tokyo, my rice never was the same for them, for the Itamai, for the, for the head chef. And I say, I ask, look, watching me, what I, what I, what I do wrong. And he watching me and he say, you wash too much the rice, wash less. Yeah. In the end was, he was true. So yeah. I think the most important is know know your rice, know everything about your rice, and try to make better every time. That's super interesting what you mentioned. We we also talk about that in the, on the sushi episode we made uh, that the seasoning is not. I mean, it, it depends on the on the fish and the season, so you, you you it can vary like depending on on what you want to achieve. This is something a lot of people don't know. Well, I guess it's also difficult to learn how to calibrate that right it's very it's very complicated uh, so nowadays they uh, they're using a lot around the world is uh, akasu it's a red rice vinegar it's made with a with a lease of produce in sake with sake kasu and it's a little bit more more complex taste or aroma but this vinegar is not match really well with white fish so Nowadays, is a few restaurants you can find the, the, the two type of vinegar, no white white vinegar with, with some fish and akasu, the red vinegar with another fish, no. So every the vinegar for me also is very the, the seasoning is very, is very important, no, to the sushi. I went to to an omakase in Singapore recently, and it, it impressed me because I had never seen that the the nigiris like the rice was already like seasoned with soy sauce, so it was kind of you know gray or brown, and I was like, oh, I've never seen this. Like, is that common or something super modern? Like, I don't know. You mean without without soy sauce? Right? No, with it was like you know, like a light brown rice, like the ones you would find like on a Chinese stir fry. You know, like. Yeah, I, I think it's the the the, the akasu, the, the red rice vinegar. Ah, son, okay. Son, exactly. Ah. Some of the chef use a hundred percent akasu, and the color is more like brown, more like brown color. That was probably it. Yes, it's yeah. very tasty, very complex. I've seen a lot of chefs also experiment with the with the sugar. Okay. As in like not, you know, like using sweetener or like a different sort of rock sugar to give it like a little bit more complexity. And I, I personally, I saw a few times where that 
where they were using white rice vinegar with like a little bit of like a darker sugar. Okay. And that would give the rice this like light brown color. And I, I thought it was quite nice. Like I, I went to one sushi place and they said they only use like, um, uh, like o- almost like stevia or like, like a, not stevia, but like an artificial sweetener because they thought okay. it was like more, more subtle. Okay. Uh, I thought it was quite interesting also. Yeah. You know, stevia, you, you can find stevia in its natural form, which is a leaf. And if you powder the leaf, it's, it's a sweetener. It's amazing. I don't know. It's, it depends. Every, every chef is a, it's a different world, no? And some chef now, recently we travel to Japan and we eat in some, in a, many omakase place. And some of the chefs even don't use sugar. Hmm. They just use vinegar and salt. And the sushi is very sour, no? It's a very salty. Uh, more in Tokyo, no? Tokyo cuisine is more, it's more salty. And in Kansai area, like Osaka, Kyoto is more sweet. And some chef do, even doesn't use sugar, just added uh, mirin. So mirin is like it's a type of sweet uh, sake. And the and the hot mirin, the sweetness is coming from the fermentation process. No, it's not. It's no added sugar in in, in the in the process. And so every chef is different and it depends also where they coming from and the style of sushi they service. It's the small details now. Yeah. Your sushi ingredients like, let's say, rice, mirin, uh, soy sauce and so on, is it always Japanese or do you use also Spanish products? I I try to be more local as possible. I think in the fresh products like uh, fish and vegetables. And... All the other products I bring from Japan. Yes, the soy sauce, the vinegar, the rice. Um, Yes, I I bring it from Japan because here we have amazing rice. It's uh, Akita Komachi. It's the second variety of rice more used in Japan to make uh, sushi. And they grow in Delta del Ebro. And it's, it's very good. But still not... Good as uh, Koshihikari from Niigata, for example, or something like. So I wish in the future maybe we we get amazing, amazing product too, and be the most local possible. Even the wasabi now they start growing wasabi here in Catalonia. Yeah, the Sebastian was also getting. He's getting fresh wasabi here from yeah. Gedaria. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's it's nice. Of course, it's not the uh, Asumino wasabi who is sweet in the end, very aromatic. But it's going in the, in the good way, maybe for some of the preparation I used to the Spanish Spanish wasabi. I like to be to be local as much as possible. We talk about everything in the restaurant except for desserts. What do you offer to close the meal? Okay, for the beginning, uh, the restaurant. This is very complicated part because the uh, the desserts in Japan are very minimalist, simple, and very elegant. No, in the same in the same way, and. Um, for a sushi omakase place, sometimes it's only dashi, dashi maki or atsuyaki tamago or the tamago is is the dessert for finish. That's like a like a flan, like a sweet omelette, something like that. It's like a like an omelette, no, like mm-hmm. a flan, more like an omelette. And if the pen, every chef have different. So, so when they do, they wrap in like a dashi maki, they roll in like many crepes. Or sometimes they do a tsuyaki tamago. It's more like, and I say like a cake. And it's if the every chef have different different way with the with the with the tamago. And also many restaurants they offer in the end uh, fruit, some seasonal fruit like a, a pear or a piece of melon. Amazing, of course. I, I think the taste of the fruit. Yeah, if you, I guess if you have to do that, if you do that, you have to have like an incredible melon. Amazing, right? amazing. I, I remember the, this last trip to Japan, I tried a grape. They say, wow, how they can make a grape so sweet. <laughs> yeah, I know in Japan it's also very common. Like the, there are these trees where where they're, they cut all the, the flowers, so it, it grows just one fruit per tree. Exactly. So it's super strong, and it's very common to use this as a business uh, present. So like yeah. if you close a business, you bring, bring someone like a melon or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Uh, omiyage. Omiyage, exactly. <laughs> so nice. It's a, yeah, one melon can be sometimes uh, 100 euros, 300 euros, uh, yeah. super yeah. amazing uh, 
famous melons. Yeah. Um, so in, in here, in this, in my restaurant, I sometimes we make something simple, like only tamago. Sometimes we make a mochi. We start to make some uh, handmade mochi with a glutinous rice flour dots. And we fill with the atsuki for the beginning with the anko, with a red red bean sweet paste. Mm-hmm. But this it's, it's complicated. Not not all the guests finish this this the sets. Like the cultural acceptance, right? Exactly. After we mix with uh, white beans and matcha, mm-hmm. it was a little bit more uh, acceptable. And after we made we inside with mousse, uh, green tea mousse. That was okay. Now everyone finished the set. They enjoy. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love desserts with with matcha. There is this place in Barcelona, something Okiai. Okiai means pastry shop, right? Like Yeah, Ochi Ochiai is the is the family name. Ochiai pastry. Yeah, they are one of the yeah, famous yeah, my style like, of mochi is very similar like Ochiai mochis. They have this uh matcha tea croissants that are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And nowadays we just, we make a few ice cream with, for example, as a spring, we take a sakura leaf, sakura leaf tree, and we make a, a ice cream with almond because it's the almond season here as well. And we mix uh, the sakura tree leaf season Japan with almond tree here in Ibiza. And we make ice cream and... Wow, was amazing because remember me like a tonka, mm. tonka beans a little bit. Sounds amazing. Yeah, nowadays nowadays we do something like very simple. It's a very thin line being in the Japanese dessert and Western style dessert. So I try to to don't go so far with this. <laughs> But it's nice that you also have the representation of the of the, like the area where you're in and the season and stuff and. I like that there's like an overlap of sort of like, you know, this, what you were saying earlier, this like Japanese, very strong idea of representing the seasons. And like some of my favorite restaurants, Japanese restaurants that I've seen outside of Japan, they were doing the same thing um, where they were, for example, in, in London, you know, yeah, um, where they were doing very Japanese food, but with local seasonal influence, you know, and I, I was always like, yeah, that's really, really true Japanese like mentality and spirits, you know? Yeah. Uh, really representing the where they are in the time of the year, you know? It's super nice. It's very important in the Japanese cuisine. Yeah. That's it for this week's episode of Potluck Food Talks. If you like what we're doing, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok as Potluck Food Talks. The show airs every Monday. 